What's on the silver screen? I got some takes you wouldn't believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Pop Moses Film. I'm Paul, and uh, today I have with me Josiah and Tyler, and we're going to do a little film called Onward um, by Pixar. It's a. Uh, well, actually, what I want to say first is spoiler alert. This is a fairly new movie, um, so you might not have seen it yet. It's on Disney Plus, it's on Blu ray or 4K, whatever it is. You can get it on VHS, I'm sure. It's on what the Switch. You can get it on VHS. It's on Steam. Disc. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a relatively new film, so I just want to say spoiler alert, because we're going to probably delve into spoilers. And uh, so this movie is actually directed by Dan Scanlon. He actually did Monsters Using University a couple years back. And uh, it's actually inspired by a personal story of his where his father actually passed away when he was only a year old. And the only thing that he had of his father is this cassette tape with his dad's voice that he would listen to every once in a while. And he never knew exactly what his dad was like, or like he saw pictures, but he was wishing he got to know his dad. And um, he actually has an older brother named Bill who also works at Pixar. And his brother, Bill is kind of like the Barley character. And he's like, kind of like Ian. And uh, so the whole story, this all was inspired by a conversation and saying like, well, you know, basically Bill was like the father figure. He was a surrogate father for you. And so that kind of uh, inspired all, you know, the onward. Um, I'm going to, Josiah, go ahead and go over the production info for this movie. Yeah, you're stepping on my toes there, buddy, with talking about who directed it. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. So <laughs> as do it again. The, only thing I, the only thing I do on this podcast, though, it was uh, onward was, as Paul said, uh, it's our newest movie by a long shot. It's released March 6th of this year, 2020. So that's pretty crazy. It was a different world when this movie was released. You can still go to the movies, and right now, that is not a thing. But March 6th, uh, 2020, and another key for this one, it was actually released digital on March 20th, which is super fast, and then on Disney Plus on April 3rd. So think about that. Because of uh, everything with COVID-19, you have a theatrical release on the 6th, and a month later, it is not just digitally released, it is on Disney Plus, so it's on their streaming service. And uh, you could argue, you know, it's goodwill or it's also to get new subscribers to Disney Plus, maybe a little bit of both. But I'm sure it worked to a degree. Um, directed, as he said, by Dan Scanlon, who, interestingly enough, if you look at his credits, he really started on Disney Direct to video stuff in the early 2000s, which I mentioned the VHS joke. That's where he got his start. He went on to direct Monsters University. It was written by Dan Scanlon, Keith Bunnan, who actually also wrote the film Horns. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's the sort of uh, oh, is that the, Daniel Radcliffe the with horns. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And post Jason Harry Headley, Potter. who's... Yeah, exactly. Post-Harry Potter. Uh, and then Jason Headley, who's done a lot of short films that he also uh, directed. It's also produced by Corey Ray, who totally, like the other guys here, worked her way up through Pixar and produced Monsters University for Dance Gallon. It stars Tom Holland as Ian Lightfoot and Chris Pratt as Barley Lightfoot. And there's some other actors that we may or may not mention. Julia Louis-Dreyfus and... I don't have anybody else written down. My queen, opened... my queen, Octavia, oh, Spencer. Octavia Spencer. Okay, there you my go. My queen, who I brought up, I think, on every single episode of Pop Moses Film. <laughs> you say you're queen? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely oh, wow. love okay. Octavia Oh, my God. Oh. I think I brought her up on every single episode, I think, in some capacity. But anyway. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> it opened at $39 million. 
in just a few months ago, and it total U.S. gross was $62 million, and worldwide was 103 The budget was somewhere between 175 and $200 million, so basically in order for this thing to make money, they probably had to release it digitally because you don't have any kind of long box office run, and obviously the box office has been in shambles right now. And it is the 22nd Pixar movie released, the first without any input from John Lasseter as well. So... That's one thing that was interesting. It was the first completely free of his influence. So whatever that means. But at the same time, you'll see, as we'll talk, I think, it's definitely has the fingerprints of a John Lasseter Pixar film in terms of what you expect from a Pixar film in good ways and bad ways. I didn't so, know he had anything to do with Coco at all. Yeah, I don't know like what his level of influence would be, but this, in terms of, at least when it started development, it was after he was out. That's oh, got it. Yeah, you don't know how much, you know, really he was like, sure, make Coco, and that was it, <laughs> you know. But <laughs> I love hot so that's chocolate. it for me. <laughs> so, yeah, I, um, so after seeing this movie, uh, what were your initial impressions of it? What did you think? Did you? Uh, how, I mean, how did it fit? amongst the pantheon of Pixar movies, in your opinion. Can I go first? Yeah, go ahead. So, I tried watching this movie because, I, I first off, I'm not a very big Pixar fan anymore, and I haven't been since Ratatouille, with two other movies that I did really like, was which was Inside Out and Toy Story 4. Um, but yeah, I'm not a... And I haven't been a very big fan of Pixar, because they haven't really wowed me, um, minus Inside Out. And, um, I, I just, I've gotten over them over the years. And so I, when it went on Disney plus, we got Disney plus really for the movie because my girlfriend really wanted to see it. And so we tried watching it and I didn't like it. I couldn't get into it and we stopped it halfway. I just, I fell asleep halfway. I did not care for it. I don't know what happened. I don't know why. I don't know anything. But when I rewatched this last weekend before we were supposed to record this, and we pushed it back a week. Uh, I watched it last weekend, and I don't know what happened, but I loved it. And I rewatched it again, and I loved it again. I don't know why or what happened because the first time I watched it, I, I really wanted to love it because I just spent sixty nine dollars on Disney Plus, <laughs> and I was like, I really want to like this movie. I hope to God this is worth it. And this is before I knew so, about Hamilton. You can watch other things on Disney Plus. I mean, what, what do you yeah, think you're only allowed to watch one movie over and over and over and over again. <laughs> At well, least that's how my three year old daughter thinks Disney Plus works. I mean, I I so. don't I have so many Disney movies, and I'm not a big fan of like the biggest fan of Disney stuff. Like anything I want, I I already have. So I don't really need Disney Plus. We just got it for Onward, and of course now Hamilton's on there. So I am very glad. I would I would pay another sixty nine dollars just for just for Hamilton. But uh, that's another that's another thing. But anyway, so so, so oh, why did your impressions of it change though? What, that's what, do you what think I don't. That? I have zero idea. I have no idea, honestly. Like I I I I went in with the, actually I went in with a maybe it's because at first I went in with like maybe an expectation and be like okay I hope this was worth I hope this is worth Disney Plus. Where this one was is like, oh my god, I just want to get through this. Maybe it was because I was I the second time I had such a low uh, expectation, maybe out of it, until it kind of wowed me. And also, like I was sitting at my, I don't know, maybe it was like I was sitting at my desk, maybe it was just how I was feeling that day. But I remember when we were watching before, you know, we were cuddling, you know, on the bed where the AC is, and it was fine. But then like now. I watched it at my desk alone, and I just I don't and I loved it. I have zero idea why. I I just don't know. 
it, hmm. that, it's happened to me before with a film. Um, the same thing happened with me with Untouchables, where I like I watched it with a friend who like forced me to watch it, and I was like, okay, like every, everybody highly regards this movie, I will love it, and I hated it, and then I saw it again on my own, just like on TNT or something like that, and I loved it, and then I saw it again. And I think also the same thing with Donnie Brasco, which is another gangster movie, which is weird. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So, yeah. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. How about you, Josiah? What's your, what's your impressions of this movie? And- I mean, I liked it because it's, it's, it, there's no Pixar movie that I dislike. And I don't care as much for some of the more recent ones. Uh, over the last 10 years in particular, it's, it's, it's every other, every two, three movies that it's like, okay, maybe – certain different special ones that are special. Like I think Tyler certainly mentioned inside out. That's one that's like special from the last 10 years. Uh, but for the most part, I feel like this is just the, there's the, there's the, the cliche of save the cat in Hollywood where save the cat has ruined movies because save the cat has the, the famous beat sheets and they love, you know, lining them up to movies and you can do it with Pixar movies and you have all these moments that are supposed to happen for the audience to sort of have these certain kinds of reactions, the dark night of the soul, the save the cat movement. If anybody knows it's referencing to, you know, to the hero doing something good. So, you know, they're the good guy, all these sort of beats that have to happen. And this movie felt like that, but at the same time, it was very emotionally grabbing. Like most all Pixar movies, it still worked. It didn't fail in that, but it also didn't cross into that being special. For me, you know, it felt like. Yeah, sorry, I I may retract. Like, I didn't, I didn't like love it. I just, I really, it just. Sorry, maybe I, maybe I, my, maybe no, I think I embellished it because of like because I, I really hated it when I first watched it, and then I actually like enjoyed it. (laughs) I think it's what it is. I didn't love it, but I really liked it. I agree with Josiah. I, I think that the story was okay, and the plot points were just kind of like, all right, I've seen this. Well, a lot of times before and, and i think of it though like this you know, like for me it's like a, the, the big thing is i have a little kid uh, penny is three and a half years old and it was really cool so i watched this as you know when we were originally going to record last week i watched it with judy in the evening and judy was crying by the end that's always a sign okay is it a movie that just fundamentally has an emotional appeal judy can cr- cry not that it's a rarity for her to cry at movies she's oh, pretty I, uh, good I, at I, that. I bawled i bawled <laughs> at the end i didn't but i i i i i didn't mainly because Judy was crying, but I was definitely feeling it. Don't, don't get me wrong. But with this movie, I then caught, uh, as Penny is like maybe yesterday or the day before I was kind of watching it just in the background during the day. Cause it's, you know, for the most part we watch movies, maybe that I can't have one when the kids are on. Um, but at the very least movies that she won't be interested in, but she's like stopping what she's doing to watch the movie and asking me questions about the movie. And it hit me. It's like, Oh, this is why this movie is made. And this is what Pixar does. They make movies that I'm entertained by. I connect with, but it's for my daughter. Yeah. It's for that, that kid. That's who it's for. I'm not who it's for. They want me to be entertained. They want me to take my kids to this movie, but it's not for me. And it really like, help me appreciate it more and even like quote lesser Pixar more, especially comparing it to like the minions movies and stuff like that. Say, where you, it's, I was going to say, yeah, be very careful what you're about to say, <laughs> but I agree with the minions and, and oh. other movies we won't name, uh, but no, but the minions movies are a specific, the particular example. The, a lot of the illumination stuff in particular, yeah. where it's like a lot of fart jokes 
And yeah. that appeals to the kids too, but it doesn't have that staying power. It's a movie that can... this is, you know, this is a movie that could stay with Penny as she grows up. And then it'll mean more to me, you know, in 15 years when she's a teenager and she wants to watch Onward with me, you know? Yeah. I think the, I think the thing about Onward is that it's it's kind of a victim of Pixar's reputation. I mean, when you make something like Wally Up, The Incredibles, Toy Story 1 through 4, like there's so many masterpieces in in their in their filmography yeah. that every time they have a new movie come out, it's like kind of a victim of its reputation. Um, so and and that's the thing with this movie, like you said, I feel like there's a Pixar playbook that they are kind of pulling things from, like the relationship between Mike and Sullivan. They kind of applied to Ian and Barley. Um, See, I don't even think it's a Pixar playbook. I think it's just a, like any any movie that has to do with like siblings or sibling like people, where one of them's strong and the other one's weak, and they're and they always have to go on like get from point A to point B. It's like I, I, I like yeah. I feel like there's always those same beats, no matter what. It doesn't even have to be Pixar. Yeah, but Pixar definitely leans into them. Absolutely. This movie, while it's, I, I think it's a solid movie, I think they're kind of repeating themselves with a lot of these different themes in this movie. And in fact, um, one thing that really kind of stood out is we recently saw Spy, uh, uh, Into the Spider-Verse, and there's a scene where the dad kind of embarrasses uh, Miles. And the same exact scene was in this, where Barley, like, uh, Ian's going to go to the, those kids and want, he wants to invite them to his party. Um, and Barley shows up and kind of embarrasses him in front of his classmates. And that exact scene, it, it, like he picks up on the van and just embarrasses him. And that exact same was scene was in uh, Into the Spider-Verse. So it's like, in a way, they're kind of repeating themselves. Yeah, it's like, I, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't really compare it because, like, he was talking with people where Miles wasn't talking to anybody and he wasn't surrounded by anybody. And, like, they already had established that he doesn't talk to anybody. So, like, he didn't really embarrass him in front of, like, specific people it was kind of like more of a general thing and like i don't think the dad was as embarrassing as i would it's say not, it's not like his they brother did in a really shitty van them. what it's not that they did the same thing verbatim but it's a very yeah. similar scene yeah, oh, okay. the, okay. the, the, the essence of what you're going for in that beat is that same yeah. yeah like relationally it's the same beat sure it plays out a little differently but that's and that's kind of the the problem though. It's the same, yeah. I, I yeah, yeah. And, and it's and it's I, just I a reflective. You could even take away the car. You could take away where they're at, and it's like the other character embarrassing this character in this environment that is scary to them, maybe. And that's your, you know what I mean? Like it, it's that's why it's in every movie. It's yeah. like general sort of like they their tweaks on it here and there. I also just noticed in my notes, I kept calling him Bartleby. And I'm like, oh yeah, his name is Barley. Like it says Bartleby all through every time I wrote down Bartleby. So I'm creating a character in this movie. I forgot both their names, so don't worry. I I I did write it down right the first time though when I wrote like the the credits. So that's good. But go ahead, Paul. So for me, I I mean, I enjoyed this movie. Um, I I, honestly, I I don't think it's it's kind of mid tier Pixar to me. Um, I think there's a lot of a lot of Pixar movies that are true masterpieces and. Whenever I see a Pixar movie, I have to, in my mind, I can't help but compare those previous movies to the, you know, like Onward, um, or like Coco, things like that. Um, yeah. So, and another thing is, and this is really not beyond their control because of the pandemic. You know, this didn't have a theatrical release. I mean, this has a theatrical release, but you know, I didn't get the chance to see it in theater. Um, I saw it on Disney Plus, and by the very fact that they put it on Disney Plus, it felt like 
lesser Pixar, lesser Disney, but that's not really their control. That's kind of yeah. my stigma. Um, okay. So I kind of had these. That's why your, anti, your anti-streaming bias has been in this podcast for too long, Paul. I know. I, I always, yeah, I mean, I always forget that I'm like. There. I always forget I'm in the minority where I would prefer to watch things at home as opposed to go to an actual movie theater. <laughs> and and yeah, so but again, I appreciate the fact that it's not a sequel. It's a it's a it's a you know it's it's a new movie with new characters, a new world that they crafted. Um, personally, I think that what would have made this movie stronger is if they kind of leaned into the fantasy world, like especially towards the end, they kind of leaned more into the fantasy world and made it more stylized and more yeah. like, I had, had a very, that was my, yeah. Design that. In the, in the equivalent of like, like game of Thrones has a very distinctive style. Lord of the Rings has a very distinctive style. Um, and so I kind of wish because it was fantasy or it's rooted in fantasy, the look wasn't very like as generic as it looked, it looked more maybe stylized, maybe like a Tim Burton, maybe like Guillermo del Toro, like something, something like that, like more of a visual artist. Is I it think Guillermo? Like, did you say Guillermo? <laughs> I don't know what you said. Guillermo? Guillermo. 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 You know, the, the Pans dude. The rest, of, the rest of this podcast is just going to be us doing Guillermo for an hour. Whenever we, whenever we did the Blade Runner 2049, you know, I had to like okay. Google. I had to Google Gizmo, someone on YouTube Gizmo how to say. You I had to Google. I had to Google someone on YouTube how to say Denis Venu because I wanted to say it like with the correct accent. <laughs> Denis Venu. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And, and yeah. what I love in this movie is it sprinkles like so many different Lord of the Rings references and like references to so many different fantasy films. Um, the one that was really striking to me, and this is, I wanted to point out one that is just like personal to me. I kind of got a sense of like Army of Darkness in the very opening theme when it shows like the fantasy world and the Pegasus. It kind of sounded like the ending theme right when Ash becomes where it like flashes to modern day Ash uh, in uh, Smart, and also the sprites like the like how they're yelling at each other and like having back like dialogue between each other kind of reminded me of like the little ashes of the like the little tiny Ash clones or whatever. In Army of Darkness, like causing mischief, um, so I got like little tones of, of Army of Darkness. Is there any kind of reference in the movie that kind of spoke out to you or thought that was, uh, you know, pretty cool? Ooh, I don't remember. Like, uh, I, I know I had a friend who said that there were a lot of World of Warcraft references in it. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I there there was the one character that looked like. Um, Gandalf, and there was like a quest that kind of looked relatively like a part of, um, of you know, of Lord of the Rings, and then it turned into like not be like it at all. Um, but I don't really know that many. I didn't really notice that many references. But I don't. I, I don't think I was also looking for references in this movie. I think I was more engaged with the characters themselves and what was going on. And like that, my first view was just kind of get through the movie, thinking that I would hate it, hate it again, and then. Um, and then the, the second one earlier this week. I mean, I was kind of, I, I was, I was half paying attention, but like I, I was still on. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I didn't really see that many references, and I haven't seen Army of Darkness, so that doesn't help me. <laughs> oh what? I don't like Evil oh, Dead God. movies. I don't like Sam Raimi. So I, oh man, I'm also Army Darkness is pretty great. I'm also not very excited for Doctor Strange two now. <laughs> 
I'm the opposite. We're about to have a falling out in the podcast here. Yeah. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go down that road, though I disagree vehemently with what Tyler said. Um, and that's a rarity. I usually agree and like him, but I dislike him right now. But, um, for me, the only yeah. reference, like I wasn't like, it's kind of like Tyler though said, I wasn't really watching. The, the opinions reflected by a Potmosis film, but it's not, <laughs> it's not reflected by what Tyler says. <laughs> we don't want our sponsors to get upset with us. Oh, we, we don't have any sponsors. My, my apologies. Our sponsor, my wife, Dark my Man, sponsor. The Darkman Trilogy on Blu-ray. Sponsor. No, uh. <laughs> Um, That's sponsored by Disney after this. Most of which are direct. Yeah. Um, the one, the one reference I did notice was funny because I felt like it was a missed opportunity for a joke. Um, he goes to early in the film. He goes to the burger restaurant and he meets the guy who knew his dad. And it's like a, it's like one of those nice moments that's like too much of a coincidence that it's on his 16th birthday that he sees the guy that knew his dad at the burger place. That you know, like a little bit too much of a coincidence. Although. If they hinted it like it was magic that made that happen, then there was still some magic in the world. Maybe that makes it work for me, but they didn't do that yet. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he goes into the restaurant, and it's called Burger Shire. And oh, I'm like, yeah. it would it'd be so funny, though, if it was just Burger King. If your restaurant yeah. in that world is just Burger King. But then I realized why they didn't, because the sponsorship deal, speaking of sponsorships, kind of an inadvertent segue there, it was Booth McDonald's. So they couldn't do that joke because the toys that sold with Happy Meals were not sold, you know, with whatever Burger King kids meal, whatever. It was the McDonald's Happy Meal. So they can't have that perfect, perfect joke for a Burger King restaurant in this movie. They could have done like McDonaldson or something like that or or like (laughs) – Or like McDowell's like in Coming to America. Yeah. But – but the, I'm, this point being, that was the only reference I really noticed just because I felt like it was a missed joke. And then I realized why because Penny has a couple of the toys that were from McDonald's and not Burger King. So it's like, oh, they couldn't do that joke for that reason. Um, I'll say this. Like, I do see what you're saying, though, with the little pixies as, like, those little ashes. I, I didn't say it before that, but I definitely see that. Oh, you're that. talking about the pixies. Again, I, was, I was so confused what you were talking about. I was like, you, you said something, you, you described them as something else, and I didn't know what the heck you were talking about. You didn't say pixies. Oh, yeah, those little pixies or whatever. Yeah, no, but you said something else, and I was trying to remember at the beginning and go, what is he talking about? Did I miss it? Yeah, the bikers, the little biker pixies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't know, I, I don't know what you said, but you did not say pixies, so I was so confused. I was thinking, I was like, okay, he's not talking about pixies, apparently, but what are the other small creatures I miss completely from this film? (laughs) (laughs) That was the other thing. There's so many creatures that they just didn't have in this film. Mythical creatures, like, at all. The the world was kind of boring. The world was really boring. It it seemed small. Yeah. Yeah, It seemed like L.A. if it were, like, it was just like L.A. It felt like L.A. to me. Like, it really did. It felt like Southern California, like, very much so. I don't know where uh, Dan Scanlon's from and how, like, if where he's from influenced the background. It felt like, like, they drove on the freeway. Like, yeah. I think that's where this movie... So mundane. <laughs> what, what, part of what didn't work for me in this movie, I think it's a big flaw, because emotionally the story is, through line is there. Yeah. But the world just didn't work. It wasn't fantastical enough, like Paul kind of said, it just even in terms of the aesthetic... I feel like having it be sort of similar to our world also hurts it because you then you you shoehorn all these jokes where it's like fantasy or cell phone jokes and car breaking down jokes and jokes about things that I don't want to see in what's essentially a fantasy film. And it kind of got heavy on that kind of traction. I actually disagree. I actually think it would have been a lot more uh, – I think it would have been a better, honestly, if like – if it had been a lot more realistic as to what we are, 
And then the more that they got out of the city, like maybe seeing like deserted old towns, but like I, I would love the city to be all stone. Like you know how they you were know, living. That he, might work. That he, might work for me. But when you see their yeah. house, when their house is like it's a mustroom, a, that, know, that, a that, fantasy that, style mustroom, like it should just look like a house. That, that, that's a, that's what I was actually just about to say. I was like gonna say like all the buildings should have been made out of stone and brick and boring and like having this whole thing. And then now it also had like a staff and them like going through. And, and you know, and everything, it would, yeah, it would have worked a lot more for me. Totally, I see that because to me, to me, it's like you got to go more in more in one direction or more in the other. Yeah, and they were in this to, in between place that just yeah didn't I didn't to, care about the world. Yeah, to where yeah, like to where you see a staff, a where you see a magical staff, and them actually doing him bringing his dad back, like looks even more so out of place, and you're just like, yeah. oh, like yeah, so. I'm sorry, I think just, they just uh, they were a little too consistent in the way the look of the world throughout the movie. I think the mundane would work really well and be more effective if midway through, maybe like Manticore's Tavern onwards, it leaned heavy into the fantasy. So there's that big juxtaposition between the two, and so both would be more meaningful, you know, if they did that. And so that's the thing, like with me, um, I think it would have been hilarious if Manticore's Tavern had like. Like, the whole thing was made out of, like, stone like it does, like, when it t- catches on fire. But I would have honestly loved it if, like, the outside of it was just, like, made out of, like, really, like, a really, really shitty, like, wood job. Like, so, like, when you do see it, like, it, like, like what we were saying, like, everything looks so mundane and boring. And then when you see Manticore Tavern, it does look out of place, but it's just because it's done, like, really, really shitty. And then when it burns down, you actually see, like, the, like, what it used to look like, what old magic and what uh, they're, you know what the buildings used to look like. So that's when it starts getting really fantastical. And then everything beyond that, and then everything after that turns into like basically straight up fantasy. So there's actually a really neat story point in Manticore's Tavern where um, you see the portrait of the Manticore in, in her older days where she's holding like the, a knight's head, you know, as a portrait. And, uh, and I think Ian points it out. And then um, she, you know, she gets flustered with that customer that's asking about the karaoke and she actually makes the same pose, but she's holding the head of the um, the character, like oh, the, the mascot. Uh, the, the mascot, yeah. But she's doing the same exact pose, and it's funny. It's just a subtle, like, animation thing, but it's you could kind of see the juxtaposition between her old life and her current life, and why she's freaking out. Um, I definitely like that one moment where the customer goes over to her and says, "Hey, what's wrong with the karaoke?" And they kind of like have that dull look, that dull expression on the face. And I've been in customer service. I know that seething anger of somebody's <laughs> question, but like trying to hold back my like rage. So I like totally connect with that moment. Um, as far as uh, like references, one that really I, I, I really enjoyed, and I, I actually went through all these different YouTube videos to make sure that this wasn't a reference that they found, and. So, number one, Lightfoot, the name Lightfoot is actually the name of an animation supply company. And I'm very sure that that's a homage to that. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, number two, um, the at the Manticore's Tavern, the Phoenix Gem map is actually the map of Middle-Earth. And I actually, like, paused it and compared it and all that stuff. I was like, it's the map of Middle-Earth. Whoa, they can uh, get sued for that. Which is really cool. <laughs> um, another one that, but this is already found out in other YouTube videos, but... The claw machine is actually the Infinity Gauntlet. That's the uh, there's that game that um, yeah. claw machine game. It's actually the Infinity Gauntlet, like getting the toys. 
so I think it was nice little points like that. I'll watch this movie frame by frame. I watched it with my kids running around, so yeah. that's the difference. I, I, <laughs> I watched it while editing. <laughs> yeah, I had so much fun just, like, looking at all these different, like... Uh, no, I, I'll say this at the very least. I kind of want to go back and look for some of those things now. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely oh. interested in seeing the Infinity Gauntlet yeah. as a claw machine. I need that, to really like, see that in real life. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've been, I've been watching, I've been like watching South Park, and apparently, like in the first episode, because the first episode is made out of actual construction paper, there is an actual um, frame where you see an animator's hand because they didn't move <laughs> it in time. And so I was like going back and pausing and like trying to find the frame, and it's the most boring frame. Like it was like once I did get it, I was like, oh, that was underwhelming, but I did it. <laughs> So I'm going to do the same it's thing like, with it, the Infinity Gauntlet. It's like trying to find the, the munchkin that hung himself in The Wizard of Oz. Oh, my God. It was a bird. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> well, I don't understand. It didn't look himself in Teen Wolf. It didn't look anything like it. Wait, what happened to Teen Wolf? Or A guy exposed himself in the basketball scene at the end when is they it, were like, celebrating. Is it real is or is real? it not real? They, they don't know if it's real or not. It, can, like, it looks like maybe someone just hand, – like you don't know if it could be somebody that his hand or something weird. Hmm. Okay. I've, not, I've not seen it in the movie proper. I've seen like you know the YouTube video kind of thing of it. Do you remember in the three? Look it up if you want to waste fifteen minutes of time. Was that little ghost kid or whatever in Three Men and a Little Baby? You remember no. that? Yeah, the yeah. Ghost three kid in Three Men and a Little Baby. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking this one up. Yeah, I remember seeing that in the movie theater when I was a kid, but yeah, I don't like, remember a ghost kid. Hands, and you see like this kid in the shower. Oh no! Yeah, I've heard that story. Like yeah, yeah, behind like Ted dancing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like as okay. the, the the camera pans by, but We're yeah, I love the Easter eggs like that. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. I just uh, okay. I'm gonna look that up later. I have it written down. Uh, so I want to ask you, like, are there any things that you'd have changed in the movie to make the film work better, like story beats or character choices that you thought would have made this movie kind of tilt more towards uh, like a Wally or an Up? You know what? I'll say this, and it's funny. I was thinking about this, uh, and it's it's a complicated one because it's copying a, an amazing film in Up, but I think this movie has a lot of the sort of the overarching sort of emotional sort of arc of that movie in very very similar ways. Even though like the execution is different, obviously the world's different, but um, I was I don't think they're comparable at all, minus an adventure. <laughs> How so? Like what? Like for example, you have these two characters who are sort of at odds with each other on this adventure, and it's essentially the two characters discovering the missing father figure in the other character. It's the exact same movie. That's the whole plot of Up, and that's the whole plot of this movie. It's it's, it's their movie then, and that's and that's the, the emotional draw of that movie. Where obviously what you have is characters who have lost something. Ellie and the boy who essentially lost his father, even though in Up his father's not dead. It's the same emotional story arc. Like I'm sure it's different movie and different things happen, but that's and it it, it kind of in the end it gets to the same place where the resolution so is each other. Very much despise Up as a as a whole movie. I cannot stand that film at all after the first thirty minutes. So. Like, but let me the the thir- first thirty minutes I think is the key part. What I wanted to talk about actually though, so so specifically as it applies to onward. So, but the reason part of why Up is so strong is that first you know thirty minutes. The, that's as beautiful as any film you'll ever see. 
in that beginning segment, the story of of Carl and Ellie. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's amazing. The best montage use of a montage for at the beginning of any story I've ever seen. But I think what this movie lacks is that aspect of it. I know the big and the reason I think this is the touchy part is because the director being that this is clearly a very personal story for Dan Scanlon and his own father and the sort of legacy of his own father. The lights went off. Oh. <laughs> lights went off in the room I was in. <laughs> the legacy of his own father, that's where it's heaviness. So he didn't get to experience his father, right, in his life. But I think the movie audience should experience that father. You should get some aspect of him in the beginning of that film. And you can see it. We see it. And then Ian does it. I, I liken it to um, the Hitchcock sort of theory of suspense, right? And, and, and what, what, it is, what it is with uh, Hitchcock in this, the way suspense works, right? You have two characters at a table. They're having a conversation. They're having their lunch. You cut to a bomb under the table. You cut to the clock. You, cut, you, know, you build the tension that way. So these two characters don't know that bomb is there. And so it doesn't affect those characters. Ian still hasn't seen it. But I know that it's probably – part of what the director was going for was the audience should feel what he felt not having known his father. And that's really hard. And I get that. But as a viewer of this movie and just thinking of the way that would make the story more powerful is something in the beginning to get that. Maybe you almost do it in a way that you, you don't even realize what you're getting where you, you have that magic, that prologue about magic is gone from the world and you segue into the story of how the father essentially passes something like that to then kind of build it in to then help carry it through the rest. That's kind of what I was getting at with up. So, and that's, yeah. that's my I, piece. Now. Can I say one Go thing? I, I, I totally agree. Actually, that's uh, something I wanted to touch up on and the way, actually I went on a different ways that, uh, so the whole thing the, the, during the whole movie, they're trying to, you know, bring their father back and, you know, he's just legs dancing around and all that stuff. But, it's you, you build up through this whole story, like him, then them going to see, you know, have reunite, uh, being reunited with their father. And then you don't show it and have that emotional payoff that would have been really striking for this movie. Um, it, it's kind of a disservice to it. You know, it's, it's, I know it's an intimate moment between Barley and his dad, you know, and you know, you get to see it from afar from Ian's point of view, but I really, yeah, they really should have had a scene where it was just, you know, Barley with his dad and, and just because you built up so much of it for this whole movie and then you didn't have that payoff. So I definitely agree. I think that yeah, because just because he, just because Ian doesn't get it doesn't mean the audience shouldn't, you know, like that's the difference. I also would have loved the beginning had it uh, maybe be a little bit weird but i would have loved it too if it was just like the beginning where it was kind of like the narration of who he is he's like hi i'm the, the uh, i'm ian and i'm about to and i'm about to go to to, to college and blah 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 and it's like him with his mom and, and he's just like mom what was dad like and then the mom just kind of stops and then she kind of tells the story and as she's telling the story and narrating it it does a montage and you get to see like different aspects and kind of what you saw like we like him him with with barley and then you know, her and then, you know, her getting pregnant, Ian getting born and then like maybe like a picture of like the family together and then it like moves over 
like and it maybe has like a year on it stamp on it on the bottom like a lot of family portraits well, at least on my family we a lot of ours had like the year on the bottom and then like it then pans over to the next year where it's just one year later and and it's just barley the mom and, and ian and it's just those three and then it goes back and tells the rest and then it starts then it starts telling the rest of the story where it, yeah, and I think I think again, I think you're totally on it. Like what we're I think one of the problems is that and again, it's really tough and it's really touchy because like this is a, this like is a Paul very mentioned, personal story for this guy. Yeah, very personal story and he really had that recording of his dad. So he wanted that to be in there, but that for the audience of a film have a deeper emotional connection you need something to create a deeper emotional connection yeah and it got close-ish but it wasn't there and i think we've all like essentially you could pitch 50 different solutions to help get there yeah. but i see why he went the way he did because of his personal story but at the same time i think it hurts the movie i would have loved it if barley did the whole narration about the fantasy world too no, I like I like the fact that it was the dad narrating it. I think that's Oh, that's right. That was the dad. Never mind. That was the dad. Yeah, I think but that... I just I feel like I wanted it to segue. I wanted to... <laughs> what I, wanted it to... I wanted it to like that narration. Though. I wish that it would have segued into a little bit more about who the dad is. Yeah. In ways that then and then and then and then the, or then throughout the movie we we then understand what that meant. Maybe you don't understand it yet. But then as they go on the quest, you start to get the context for what he was talking about, what he was saying. That you know, that narration that narration was like so general, it needed to be specific that then when they do these specific things in the quest, then it means something. I would have loved a flashback of like of Barley and the dad. Like the dad is like dressed up as a wizard and Barley is dressed up as like a barbarian or even a or even like a pixie as like as a kid. And they're like acting like they're going on a grand adventure in their backyard. Something like that to like really show anything how goofy he was, and also that he actually really did care about the fantasy times. Because that was the other thing, like the whole time, I'm like, why? Like, how do we know the dad even really cared about the fantasy? We don't really get that, I guess. Minus, I guess, now that I me mean, learning that he narrated the beginning, um, <laughs> and like, I mean, like besides him narrating the beginning of the movie and having a staff, like, how was I supposed to know that he was like this goofball that that, that like was obsessed with the old, you know, magical times? Yeah. And I think we can all agree that a lot of the elements of really good Pixar films are in this movie. They just didn't stick the landing in the way that they hoped. Um, and one thing I want to do is highlight the relationship between Ian and Barley. Um, I mean, what, what did you think about that relationship? Uh, did it? Did you enjoy the kind of interplay between like how Ian kind of looked up to Barley but was kind of uh, embarrassed of him? And then Barley kind of looking down at Ian as as like a father figure. Like, what did you think about that relationship between the two of them? I lo- I love I loved the dynamic of them. Um, I thought it worked because it seemed genuine. Um, Tom Holland and Chris Pratt have this amazing chemistry, even voice acting. It's weird, and I would say the dialogue is actually very effective in this film. Him saying that he thinks he's a he's a screw up. Is was like shocking to me hearing that in a Disney film. Just like another character be like, "You are a fuck up." It's like essentially like how it kind of impacted me. Whenever like whenever he said like, "Do you don't think like what is, does he say a screw up or what what is the line?" Yeah, screw up. Yeah, I'm like when he said that. Like, he yeah, to me, to me, he says yeah, like when it's the other yeah. cops. Yeah, because then he can't. He has to 
tell the truth or the magic will break. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, but no, but then the brother Barley like straight up asks him like, you, you think I'm a screw up? And he goes, yeah. And he basically says, yes. And I'm just like, holy shit. Like to me, it was just like him be like, you're the biggest fuck up I've ever met. Nobody has fucked up more than you. You're a big fuck up. Like that was like, <laughs> like that impactful because I've never, I never, we never got that from any Pixar or Disney film really, where somebody was just that blunt to like the, the a person they love. And so, I loved it, and then uh, again, like at the end, just the twist of him not meeting his dad, and then like the whole speech of him talking about how his brother was essentially his dad, and that montage made me cry so hard. It was just it was unexpected. I didn't think that they would actually go there, and they did, and I thought it was executed insanely well. Yeah, I thought that was really beautiful. The the idea that he can like sacrifice his opportunity for a moment with his dad for his brother to have it. I thought that was, and especially that once they played into the brother, then getting a chance to redeem his, that last memory that la- like that he didn't do the right thing and he didn't want to go in and see his dad when he was dying. Like that's really beautiful and powerful. That really, 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 really got me. I didn't connect as much with like realizing that his brother is his dad kind of connection. Like, it's not quite the same. You know, I understand that he made, he learned to appreciate his brother, but a brother isn't a father. Like, they grew up together. It's a different dynamic. I mean, I disagree, oh. though. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a few friends who the same thing happened to who grew up with their with their sibling as essentially being that lost sibling, that lost um, parent. Like, I, I have a couple friends who were like that. I'm going to kind of get on a personal note here. Um, so when I lost my, my mom... Um, I, when I was young, I was, I was 16, actually the same age as Ian. And, uh, I kind of sought a mother figure to sort of replace like the the mother that I lost. And even the same one that my lost, my, my, my dad passed away. I kind of sought like the father figure and like, there are people in your life that sort of fill that role, whether you acknowledge it or not, they sort of become like a surrogate father or a surrogate mother and so I took like that, that whole thing where where Barley was like a surrogate father to Ian, um, I found I found I found it really emotionally powerful and um, kind of a very uh, like a nuanced, like a very nuanced and thoughtful uh, way to view grief. Like it's something very specific that I understood. And it, it really spoke to me, and so I really appreciated that that thing. And I think, what I again, I I feel like I'm a little bit hard on this movie when there's a lot of things like a lot of character moments and a lot of like emotionally pure, um, uh, like like just the the inspiration behind it is is is, is uh, you know really resonates with me, and and so it, it's it's kind of hard to be hard, hard on it because there's so many things that it gets right. I just think in terms of like the adventure and like design of the world and things like that, there's a lot of work that it could have been done. And then even like, you know, kind of having that payoff with the father, having some kind of moment to show what they lost, I think was really essential. Um, You know? And so, yeah, I I just, I, it's, it's like, it's like, like, like even like before he disappears, like he asking, like you can see that he's clearly asking where Ian is, and Barley like points over to him, 
and he just looks over and he's starting to disappear and he just waves and then he just disappears and he at least acknowledges and look and sees Ian at least. Yeah. That would have been oh god, I'm tearing up just thinking about that. Um <laughs> like that would have been amazing. Like at least Barley got the moment, but Ian got you know recognition and he now knows that his dad see- saw him and saw at least a glimpse as to what kind of man he's become at 16. But I, but I think part of Ian's journey is, it, this might almost kind of go counter to what I was sounding like I was saying, is Ian's journey is he doesn't need his father to see him. Because because he has the attachment to someone else. Like I, 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 I feel like it's going against what I was saying. Like I wasn't trying to say that he doesn't fill a void in his life. I was trying to say, though... I don't know what I was trying to say with that part, but I think that Ian's emotional journey, it's he never had his father and he can give his father to his brother who did and felt like he did wrong. And I'll say this kind of like I was not going to share this because like I didn't I didn't have a loss in the way Paul did. But when I was in high school, my grandfather passed away and he my mom's dad, he had his leg amputated and I couldn't go to see him. I never got to see him before he passed. Biggest regret of my life. Biggest regret of my life. Never got to see my grandfather again. I couldn't go. I wasn't a kid. I wasn't a little kid. I wasn't a, a barley, you know? And again, we're, we're like ragging on this movie, and it's obviously, it touches on a lot of things. I think that's part of why, though, we don't want to rag on it. I feel like I don't want to because, like, oh, it, it's emotionally connects, but that when there's things wrong with it, that's okay to point them out, too. But that was hard. And I, and I know, like, I think I've shared with my mom that, that I wish I had done that. It was her dad. Um, but cause, and then it was interesting for me because once he passed, it was a weird circumstance where all of my brothers were out of state. And that was the first time in my life I've ever dealt with that. And I'm the youngest of four boys. So they've always been around. I've always been a little brother and I was at the funeral. I was the only pallbearer from my line of brothers and it's you know my brothers i'm the my siblings were the biggest family there's four everyone else has at most three kids so and it was just me so it was kind of like those things really connected um but i think that in ian getting back to the story he didn't need but he learned that he had something else that that's the something that he would hang on to and he could give the resolution that his brother needed the, the 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 reason his brother thought he was a screw up the reason Ian thought his brother was a screw up was because Ian acted like a screw up because Ian I'm sorry for because Barley acted like a screw up because Barley thought he was a screw up because Barley screwed up when he was little by not going in to see his dad and that was what then determined that Barley was a screw up for Barley oh. and Barley let himself be that I am a screw up because I made this mistake when it's like no Ian's like you didn't screw up here's a chance to redeem that moment well there was that also the line that he said he goes you know because I wasn't uh strong enough to go see my dad I I I uh he was he was like I I I would never say no to an adventure I would never say no to an adventure I would never say no or I'll never be scared of anything again I think is what he says yeah yeah yeah. and uh, first of all I want to say thank you for sharing that personal story I really appreciate it um and but I think I, you know, I didn't even think of it that way. That he kind of thought of himself as a screw up because he messed up that one moment, uh, and and then he just kind of. That's interesting. That's an interesting point to make there, and I think that's really great. I mean, because I, that's like I don't, I don't hold a lot of regret. I don't, 
that's not me. That's something I regret. And I, that's, and, and then whenever that part of that mo- in that movie, that was more than anything else that I connected with, you know, I didn't, I didn't lose any of my parents, thank God. But I, that when he talked about that, I, I remembered my grandfather and I remember not going to see him. Oh yeah. I, I, I cried the entire. And, and part of it too was like, a few oh years God. before that, a few years before that I watched um, my other grandfather die. So that was not easy, you know? And I think that I was young and um, it's funny because when my other grandfather died, it's the first time I ever watched Braveheart because they were supposed to pick me up to the hospital. Um, like, like my dad's uncle, um, uh, and he just they just forgot me. I was at the house by myself, and everybody was at the hospital. I did go later, so I got to see him before he passed. But I remember I watching Braveheart. It's just an interesting nugget for my grandfather's passing, as it relates to this podcast. And I, I Josiah here to take it into like weird, obscure places with references, movies that he saw when people were <laughs> passing. <laughs> Everybody has, like, a different story for, like, losing loved ones. Like, I lost all four of my grandparents. Um, The first one that passed away was the most impactful for me. Like, uh, my grandma, who passed away when I was back in middle school in 2002 or 2003, um, was the most inspirational person. She's the only reason why I got into music. Uh, She made me promise her that I would go sing. I would sing at Carnegie Hall one day, which I happened to do in 2012. Um, and she was the main reason why I did anything musical. She was, and I was a really depressed fat kid who had like barely any friends. And so like my grandma meant like everything to me. And she lived in Tyler, Texas, which I'm named after. We would only see her twice a year. And like, that was my favorite. She like got me to want to learn how to play piano. I inherited her grand piano. That's not here in California, but, um, it's, it's in a storage unit in Texas. But, um, like, she meant everything to me. Like, I didn't have any friends. I didn't really have anything. She was the only person who cared about video games with me. Like, I, uh, like I would, she would play, like, video games, ask me questions and stuff like that. She loved that I loved movies. She loved that I loved music and musicals. And, like, my, my parents weren't really, like, not to talk too much about it. Like, my parents just weren't really around because they were both business owners. So we always had babysitters and maids and other things. So I didn't really, not maids, but, like, a somebody who would come in and clean but like i didn't have anybody and then like um so it was my grandma and so when she passed away uh from lung cancer my parents were would not even let me see her it's not the fact that i didn't i wasn't brave enough or anything i they just would not let me see her and so like hearing his story and like also just like seeing how because how angry i was and i still am today because i have pictures of her everywhere i still have her glasses uh my first car was her car um that i bought for my grandpa like uh, she has the most impact on my life still today i like i won't drive anywhere without her glasses in my glove compartment it's just something i can't do and i'm not even superstitious or anything um and and that's like a whole anger thing that i that i hold that i couldn't control and and i think that's why like i cried hardcore during the cheeto scene when he was telling the story where i'm just like i had the exact opposite thing where he had the chance where i didn't have the chance and like seeing it that way was like fucking it, it, it was it was heart wrenching just like because uh of basically having the option and not taking it is like was it was like basically like terrifying to me and also the saddest thing and i 
when he's and then uh, yeah when he said you know and he goes that, that was that moment where i realized that i i will never be scared again i lost it. i'm tearing up now i fucking lost it that line hit me so 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 hard because like you know i, I i'm all my other three grandparent sets not i, I don't want to say like like it was easy but like it was so much easier they didn't really impact me as much as my my grandma did and i lost her way early on um but yeah it was just it was just kind of weird that like like hearing hearing him say that line and like me having an almost the exact opposite scenario was like like just just it 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 just it messed me up and that's why I love that scene and I love the characters of this film and the character uh and where they went so so do you think that maybe dealing with grief head on was kind of was a detriment to the film as far as like being accessible to kids or do you think it actually made it better? I think that this movie, if a kid had not dealt with a, a, a close death, um, I think that this movie probably is going to help them be prepared. Honestly, with Barley, I think, I think Barley is just the most inspirational character. Uh, and it came out of nowhere. I literally like, I knew he was like going to be like a, like a weirdo, I didn't like think that there was gonna be like this reason, <laughs> no, um, like such a good valid reason for it, and so yeah. How about you, Josiah? What do you think? Well, I mean, dealing with grief doesn't make it more accessible to kids. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, I know what you meant. I know what you meant. I'm just being a jerk. Um, <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, Pixar does it a lot. Pixar, most Pixar and like a lot of classic Disney, there's 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 a, some level of grief, and part of what Pixar does is tackles the grief a lot of times. That's yeah. that's 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 in their wheelhouse. Um, I don't know from the kids' perspective. I'm not sure. Like, you know, Penny's only three and a half, so it's not the best gauge. She was watching, however, Frozen. Three, Frozen Three, God, Frozen Two, and so <laughs> you time traveler, you. She, Penny's seen it. No one else has. Frozen Three. Um, <laughs> Penny acts out Frozen Three for us every Penny's, day. I, uh, I don't know how to tell you this. Just I, Penny's a mutant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> From the future, time traveling just to see the Frozen movie. That's what she would do. But with, with watching that, which deals very directly as well with grief, with dealing with the loss of the parents and. Yeah what happened and why they left and how much they, they left because they loved their kids and wanted to do figure out what was going on. Yeah. And how terrible and, their grandparents were. Yeah. Another <laughs> different. And, um, but with, with that, Penny's asking what it means to be dead <laughs> at three and a half. So oh. this movie, I think does it in a way that it's not as direct for at least a kid of her age to sort of see it. Yeah. She just sees it as their 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 dad now appears his legs and there he's standing at the end talking to the brother. You know, it's different for her at that age. But I think as she'll grow, she'll definitely it's a good movie to help you learn about it, I guess. I, I think because of um Frozen One having the montage and them showing like obvious like it was obvious that that the parents were, were no longer around. Like Elsa became queen. There's only one way that she becomes queen. And the, where this movie is so kid, dialogue. For a, where, kid, though, you, for a kid in that Frozen moment, sorry to cut you off, you could just say, I could tell Penny, oh, they just got lost. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. You know, when someone, we were watching a Star Wars movie and someone died and, and 
she, I'm like, no, they just fell down because I didn't want to have to explain it to her. It's a terrible parenting yeah. moment. Qui Gon Jinn, fine. He's just, he's just. I was fall- like, oh, he just fell down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just fell down a hole. There's a ball pit down there. He's fine. There's a hole in his chest. That's all. Just has a hole in his chest. <laughs> One thing I, I, I kind of found striking um, was was that there was no villain in this movie, and yeah, um, you know, do. Yeah, that is the same here. Like, kind of, it almost didn't occur to me uh, uh, to, to cut you off again. But uh, watching it with Penny, because she's like, "Oh, is that the bad?" Like, when the when the Manticore's tavern fell, caught on fire, she's like, "Oh, the bad guys do that." And I was like, uh, "No, it's kind of complicated." And that's where I'm going the other way as a parent and trying to explain to her like the nuances of characters and how people act and they get mad. Like I'm trying, and she's like, and then at the end, like I talked for like five minutes, she's like. The bad guys did it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you think this movie worked better without a villain, or do you think it would have worked better with a villain? No, there's no need for uh, a villain in this one. I, I think it's like a, it's like Forrest Gump. There's like no reason for it. it it's a it's a character piece, honestly. This, this is a character piece between two brothers that are growing and learning about each other and learning about where they came from. Well, well, where and um, you know, and trying to find some answers. I don't think that. Every I don't think every movie needs a it's, villain. It's a road trip movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a road trip movie. It's two brothers going on a road trip to find that, like in this case, their father. But it take this movie completely out of the realm of fantasy. This is a movie where you have two brothers. One turns sixteen. The older brother they find something of their father's. Their dad says, "Oh, it's in San Francisco. We have to drive up." So they drive up the coast together, looking for this thing, this token of their father, whatever it is, this place that he went to that has some meaning. And we learn on that journey that the place means nothing. It's the journey that means something. It's their relationships that mean something. And that's mm-hmm. why this movie works. But that's also why this movie is just not transcendently special, <laughs> because it's. It's just that movie. It's it's special in a movie that doesn't need a villain like Clerks. Like, you know, where the beginning of the movie is a guy, you know, two guys just want to get their job done. And it ends with an old guy dead in the bathroom having sex with a woman. You know, it's it's just like that. That that great, <laughs> that great classic, that great, that great classic uh, plot. You know, just kidding. All right, yeah. That was that was a that joke. Just not... <laughs> you, know, you know, that cliche tale. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's still an antagonist, though. There's like, the, obviously, they fight a dragon at the end. Yeah. It comes out of the concrete. The the cop, uh, not stepdad, the mom's boyfriend, centaur guy. He's you know sort of pursuing them antagonistically. So there's not a villain, villain, but there is other characters that get in the way. Of- the pixies we talked about, the pixies. So there's there's opposition. So there's still there's not like a an arch nemesis though. So there's still Little people, like you add those all up, you have one villain. <laughs> Actually, you know, I wanted to highlight the uh, the dragon at the end. Um, personally, I found it visually striking to have like the sort of the misty, like the red mist forming claws and like grabbing stuff to create the dragon. You know, I, I, I thought that was a really bit nice nice bit of in, uh, animation that they were able to grab. Like, I thought it looked fantastic. First of all, it's, like, it's hard to do particle effects, and it's hard to do like a mist, let alone for it to form a solid, like a hand or something, and grab other objects. And I like how the the, uh, the dragon, um, it turns its head, and it has like this happy yeah. dragon face. The, the, the mascot, the mascot face. I love yeah. it. And then the eyebrows come out and like look down. Like it's a great character moment. So, is there any bits of animation 
in in the movie that really stood out to you or really you were impressed by? I, I love that dragon. Um, and I, I definitely wanted to touch up on that, but you pretty much hit it like, like perfectly. I loved the dragon. Um, I would say I still love everything. The Manticore's tavern, like, uh, as the restaurant and then afterwards and everything. I really loved like the animation in it. It looks so good. It just, it, it looks so cheesy, and there were so many characters there, and so many things happening in the background. What Tyler said with the the Manticore's Tavern—that's like again—it's one of those movies having only watched like once and a half kind of thing. Can't can't break it down in that way. But one of the at the Manticore's Tavern, I really like the animation on the the Manticore in like the Mickey Mouse type suit, the way it moved yeah. and stuff. It was really <laughs> spot on for how like that kind of Chuck E. Cheese type costume would totally move when I thought it was great. Like, and then, and then he brought it back for some gags. Like when Paul mentioned when he's holding the head and then yeah. later on when the heads, like they use the costume to replace it on the car when they escape after that. So there's some nice stuff there. I actually didn't like the dragon at the end, mainly because I like, kind of like we talked about earlier, the movie, I wanted it to like then push into the fantasy more. And so by getting the urban dragon, we're still not pushing into the fantasy. I want to see, like, he has a pet dragon. There's a pet dragon. Their, their little dragon at the beginning of the movie is a pet. Why is this one c- concrete? I, I, I think I think there's a line of dialogue from Barley who was talking about how curses are protected by things like dragons. I, th- I think there's an actual line where he actually does reference that. Like a... Yeah, because it, it's a curse. Remember, it's not really a dragon; it's a curse. So it I know, just, but it's it a just took a dragon movie. form. Yeah, that's true. Well, I would have, I, I would have, and I agree with that. I, I think like they, what they did with it was cool, and it looked cool, and it worked cool, and the animation was awesome. But I, it, it, I wanted to become a fantasy movie at some point. Yeah, I wanted to go lean full tilt. It could have been like a resurrected wizard or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just want some fantastical <laughs> thing, like yeah, like. Yeah, like when, like it was cool because you kind of had like little nuggets of it where, like, with with Corey the Manticore, when when she then finally like flies with her wings and kind of like she gets back into being herself, but it 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 doesn't build to like true fantasy fantasy. And I and I enjoyed the visuals of it and the way it worked. And I like Paul's like said when it turns its face and it's smiling and it's like, it's great. Would it be weird for me to say that I actually enjoy Bright more than I like this movie? I was thinking that movie a lot, and I actually agree with you because that world is more interesting. I loved Bright, yeah, because there was so. Oh, much I didn't going love on. Bright, but I, I thought the world no, was oh, really. I loved the idea of it. I loved. Oh, well, I, Bright I, was just alienation God. with fantasy. Yeah. So, but at the same time, I thought that the world was in Bright. I, I said, just felt. I mean, it was live action, so it's a different comparison. But I think it's kind of like what what uh, Tyler talked about earlier, how. If the world of the the world was more like our world, so then when we get into the fantasy world, there's more of a juxtaposition against that. You would hit, but in Bright, you have that because the world is looks like our world. But then when you get the fantasy elements, it 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 feels more fantastical because it's sort of against a world that looks very familiar, as opposed to a world that looks kind of sort of like ours, but in mushroom shapes. You know, one thing that really impressed me was the. Um was the manticore skin when she shows her tattoos. Um, I thought that was pretty cool, the way, like, the texture of the skin looked and the way it was lit, how it had, like, it's, like, it's well, it's called subsurface scattering, where it looks, like, more like real skin, like you have light going through it. Um, I really was impressed by that. 
And I was trying to think, like, how did they do that? So, um, like, I'm going to school, and right now I'm doing using Maya. And so I kind of figure out what they probably did. They probably put a point light next to the skin to kind of make it, like, set, like make the color saturated. And then they had an area light to light the whole scene. But the fact that they put the point light right next to the skin made it kind of the, the color kind of bleed out in the way it did and have that subsurface scattering. At least that's what my I think happened. Um, I don't even remember the tattoo. I'm not going to lie. I don't oh, know why yeah. I do not just, remember the I remember showing the tattoo. Yeah, but I'm like, I don't know what it looks like. <laughs> the, the thing the thing that I, from like an animation nerd, I, I really enjoyed how, like there was very subtle things. Like when, when Barley gets off the van, the van shakes and like it, it like goes down and then comes back up. And you see like the bumper shake a little bit. And you see, like, I love the attention to detail on that. Like the way the lights flicker on his van because it's like, a crappy van. Uh, there's like duct tape on the seats and like sticker residue. And so like there's nice little touches. Um, even like when he sits down on the bed, you kind of see uh, Ian kind of pop up a little bit and the mom shake. It's like, I really enjoyed how, cause that's the thing when you animate something, you, you can animate the character, but you should also kind of animate how the environment is affected by the character and the fact that it does it the other way, where the environment is affecting the character as well, like you're animating all of it, kind of gives it, kind of brings you into that world a lot more um, on, a, on a technical level. So I really like, I really enjoyed that, and just even like uh, when Barley's trying to do the spell, and you see the various like all the different facial expressions, like oh hey, I think I got it, and then he's not sure, he's like not as confident. Like you could see all the bits of all these like nice facial expressions and see his mindset um, in, in a matter of, you know, like a minute when he's trying to do that spell. And so, uh, yeah. So with me, I kept on like pausing it and like, Hey, that's cool. And really kind of appreciating like the, the nuance of that. Um, one thing I wanted to point out is, uh, you know, there's that Pixar theory, right? That all the films are connected uh, I mean, what do you think about that theory? Do you subscribe to it? Do you think there's some validity to it? Do you think it applies to this movie? Like, what are your thoughts? Go ahead, Josiah. <laughs> I, I, I guess I just don't, I guess I don't care. Yeah. Is that oh, okay. terrible to say? Like, I, I like that they throw in, like, Easter eggs in different Pixar movies, other Pixar movies. Is that is that what that means? I, I yeah. mean... I mean, there's there's so there's a theory that Boo is the witch from Brave because there's a uh, on the door there's like Sully on the door like a, a drawing of Sully and then like Cars is like after the apocalypse and so all the cars like you know oh yeah I heard that the one. world like like that it's like this this fan theory I personally I just think I guess no yeah it's it's a it's a funny <laughs> I don't thing like to talk Pixar. about that much so and I love Pixar but they're just a bunch of movies <laughs> like I love Pixar and so. I think it's a an amusing like fan theory, um, and I think it's Paul a fun knows Paul knows though like Paul and I have discussed more. I hate fan theories. Like yeah yeah, T- uh, Josiah totally hates fan the, theories. the world of the movie is the world of the movie, and yeah. that's what I care about. That makes sense. I heard that like, that that Mater was actually Carl, and that Carl got uh, <laughs> Carl got when, when Carl died, they liquefied him as opposed to like cremating him. And so they put they made him as oil, put him in a in a truck, and then boom, Mater was born. 
that's really that's how they came up with the idea. Though. Yeah, I don't, and, I don't even know which game one came first. <laughs> William Wallace from um, you know is, <laughs> is technically Woody because of a uh, in the in the late 1900s a puppet master put a curse onto a puppet. <laughs> Woody's a distant relative of Chucky. Oh, that one is probably true. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Woody, and this is my brother, Chucky. I'm going to kill you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, let's see, what else? Uh, oh, you know, uh, every Pixar movie, they have John Ransenberger in it, and he does the voice. He actually does the voice of a character called uh, Fenwick. Is he in this? Yeah, he is. He's in, uh, one of the construction workers. Uh, I think in the beginning, you know, when they have that oh. footage of... Barley like tying himself to the fountain. Hmm. He's actually in, and he just like has a throwaway line in there. But that's awesome. Every Pixar film they have John Ratzenberger. Yeah, he's our good luck charm, is what they say. I think he was like in. I think they didn't have him in one movie, and it was like one of the least performing films, (laughs) or something. Yeah, I don't know whether maybe Good Dinosaur. He wasn't in that. God, that movie was so bad. That movie was beyond bad. I forgot about that piece of shit. I hated that film. Yeah, I hated. Tell us, tell us your feelings, Tyler. I'm sorry. I don't hate it as much as I hated Brave, but man, 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 good dinosaur. Ugh. Ugh. You know, uh, originally they were gonna have at the Manticore Tavern. They were gonna have a third character that um, that was gonna join the journey with Ian and Barley, and they decided that the whole sto- the whole movie would work fine without. Having that character, so they just cut her out. I think that's uh, a good. I think that's a good idea. I don't think there needed to be a third person when they're like dancing yeah. with their dad and there's one awkward person to be like, "Yeah, hey guys," and you're like, "No, get out, <laughs> go away." <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, um, like, you know, the, the, well, the mom plays Ju- or Julia Louis-Dreyfus plays Laurel, uh, the mom, and uh, the dance that the dad does is kind of like the Elaine dance from Seinfeld. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was cracking up. Yeah, I don't know. I I watched this movie twice, and I so I watched it the first time just to kind of like you know Get just enjoy it. Yeah, and then I watched the second time, and I just noticed all these different references, and I like jotted them all down. Um, so yeah, closing up. Uh, what are your final impressions of this movie? Uh, you know, how would you rank it among Pixar's? You know, I... demography. I mean, I wouldn't say top 10. I mean, I think Ratatouille is my favorite still. Um, and uh, was probably either like Inside Out or Toy Story 4 being after that. and Oh, no, Monsters, Inc. and then Toy Story 4 or Inside Out. Um, I mean, I think it is the probably the it is the best movie to come out uh, minus Toy Story 4 since um, since Inside Out, I think. I liked Coco. I just, it was just, it was okay. Um, I think I liked Book of Life a lot more. I think Coco had a great ending. Like, I cry at the end, but, like, that's the only part that resonates with me in that whole movie. Um, I haven't seen any of the car movies. Um, I just love Toy Story 4 because I don't like Toy Story 3. And so it definitely fixed that front. Um, And, uh, it had and it was a way more satisfying ending than Toy Story Three was. Jesus. Um, so yeah, I, I I like this movie. 
I think it is a good direction. Hopefully that Pixar, in my opinion, that I would like to see Pixar bounce back from and to maybe steer them into a better light again and to be as awesome as they used to be. But yeah, like I, I, I to me, I just haven't really liked them since Inside Out. And then before that with Ratatouille, right? It wasn't, I didn't like Up. I didn't, I like Wally, but it didn't wow me. Um, and you know, Monsters University was just such a throwaway movie. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. How about you, Josiah? What do you, what do you think? Where you, um, rank? you know, Kung Fu Panda is my favorite Pixar movie. <laughs> I feel like I, I get tell from y'all's faces that, I, that y'all did not like my opinions. <laughs> no, well, I really, like, I mean, Wally, I love so much. I love, 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 love Wally. And I love, I love Up a lot. Although I, I agree like with Up, the the quest part is not as good as the beginning by a long shot. Uh, and I love Finding Nemo. Most of the Toy Story movies, uh, Toy Story 2 has kind of become my favorite the more I've That's my second favorite. seen it. Yeah. The, uh, but especially because that, that's my penny. That's like for a bit that was probably her favorite movie. And the way that one ends is just really beautiful where it's Buzz and Woody together and yeah. they're just content to – as long as Andy's a kid, they're going to enjoy it. And yeah. that's how it ends. And it's beautiful. Uh, I would love for us to do the Toy Story movies or at least just talk about them because like, I love Prospector Pete. And that's why I hate Lotso so much because Lotso is a more boring Prospector Pete. That's <laughs> true. Um, and I didn't hate 3, but it definitely is probably I didn't in hate retrospect it. It was... the weakest one. But anyway, yeah. my point here is it's not – you know, to the caliber of the Finding Nemo's of those movies, particularly that that after you know they got like the Bugs Life and things out of the way, and with Monsters Inc. and though there, there's that stretch there where it was yeah, I don't know Inc., how many consecutive Finding movies Nemo were and Incredibles like all those yeah, three are just and, like we're just three perfect films like what Paul was saying like literally masterpieces I, I think. yeah and then that's and that's sort of the problem is that's the standard you're going against and this is still a very good movie. But it's not special in that way. It had a lot going against it in terms of the world as well. And like Paul said, that kind of getting put on television. One thing that always – I love watching movies in a theater mainly because especially with you know having kids now, it's hard to sometimes sit and focus for the length of time I do. And I want to be devoted to that movie. Like Paul's seen a movie with me. When I, when I watch a movie, don't talk to me till the credits are over because I'm still in the world of that movie as the credits are rolling, especially if I'm in the theater. And I – because I love a movie theater because the theater consumes you and it just completely takes you over. So it sometimes can influence the way you feel about a movie when you see it on television for the first time because I'm sure this movie would have been even more powerfully emotionally emotional for me if I'm seeing it in the in a the theater where that music's swelling around me and I'm seeing these things, these characters 40 feet tall or whatever – I didn't have that, so that hurts my reaction to it. Where when I watched Wally, when I watched Finding Nemo, when I watched those top level, those were definitely all in the theater for me. Although maybe not, I might have seen Finding Nemo later, but that's sort of neither here nor there. But I would say it's probably then in the next tier of Pixar movies. You know, it's not that bottom rung. It's not, I don't like Brave, like Tyler said. I don't like, uh, cars at all none of those ones those are just yeah like so those are like the bottom rung and it's definitely not down there but it's just also not at the top so i mean it's 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 probably yeah the second tier which isn't a bad place to be yeah i mean i I would say i agree i I would say it's probably mid-tier 
Uh, and it, it's funny if they did little things here and there. Like, I think on the emotional level, I think it's very strong. I, I think I that's agree. on the same level as, like, well, Totally, totally, for sure. But just on a character level, adventure level, visual design level, it's not... It's kind of a miss. Like, it's not... It doesn't... Yeah. Visual design especially, can, I think. Can I point out that we all forgot about Finding Dory? I honestly completely forgot about that existence. Oh. <laughs> I, I didn't, well, even, I didn't even, like, dislike well, Finding Dory that much. I wasn't trying to name much. every movie. I was well, just no, kind of no. trying to, like... <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying is, like, 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 finding, like, Finding Nemo was such a big movie. And, like, since... I mean, I think we all three of us can agree Inside Out is probably the last masterpiece. I think Coco. I, I really like Coco a lot. I... I, I it was okay. Um, I, I do too. I, I, I'm with Paul, but I, 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 I would say Inside Out is the last that I think is probably masterpiece level. True, like yeah. it's like, like Coco is re- like Coco is still top tier for me, but it's not. It's it's the bottom of the top tier. If that makes sense. Yeah, like but but like I we have had like the Finding Dory though. I, I think that the, I mean that that that's a big one. That was like something that everybody wanted was a sequel to Finding Nemo, and was completely bad <laughs> not bad it was just completely forgettable and, and to, to 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 its credit onward is an original property yeah. you know and I, so i always kind of hold that in higher esteem than like a finding dory or incredibles 2 i'm just not a really a big fan of sequels God, other than the toy incredibles. story ones they those are yeah. awesome yeah oh yeah toy story is kind of the exception you know all of them are good uh, four incredibles, is good incredibles i think it's first so three, bad. But, what um, what was that? Well, what did you say? What? Oh, I said I, I don't. I, four, I, th- I think, is a good movie. I, I just don't think it's 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 as strong as the first three. Oh it's man, I disagree. Favorite. It's my favorite. I love Gabby uh, Gabby so much. <laughs> God, I love Gabby Gabby. Toy so, Story two for life. Yeah, I love Toy <laughs> Story two. My my mine's Toy Story four, and I would say like a like a nine point eight out of ten with Toy Story two at nine point seven with. Then Toy Story one at like an eight, and then Toy Story three for me is a six. So, okay, well, um, you guys have any final thoughts or any observations about the movie? Anything that um, uh, you, know, you want to point out before we close out? I actually would really like a sequel to this one, to be honest. Like, I know we just shot on a bunch of sequels from Pixar, but like, I think this one, I think <laughs> now that there's fantasy is back, um. I think it would be cool to see, like, you know, Ian take in this 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 magic thing, and maybe in the sequel, Barley gets magic, and that'd be kind of cool, and like, and have a whole moment where it's like, um, where like the teacher becomes a student, you know, we're like, you know, Barley's so obsessed and stuff. I don't know. I I, I could see that, and I I would I would be okay with the sequel for that one, unlike. A lot of other Pixar properties. Um, if they make a sequel, they're going to release it direct to Disney Plus. So, <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, I personally don't want to see a sequel. You know, I, I, I want them to do original properties. I want them to do new things. I also just um, want I want fantasy to survive because fantasy is so fickle nowadays. Like you don't really see a lot of fantasy anymore. So maybe that's why as well. Have you desire any final thoughts? Uh, I don't think so. I, I mean, I don't care. I would like it's a movie. If they make a sequel, they make a sequel. Like, hopefully, that doesn't mean it's at the expense of making something original. But it doesn't. There's nothing wrong with a sequel. Like, you know, Frozen Two. It's a. I I, I enjoyed it. 
it's a good movie. It's a very good movie. I, I'm, I'm not trying to... Let's not go on a tangent about Frozen 2. I'm just trying to so make an analogy. But you don't need to keep <laughs> making... Josiah, this can be know, a three-hour uh, podcast. It's totally fine. Yeah, just talking about other movies. That's <laughs> <laughs> what um, we did with another you know, movie. <laughs> like, you, I, I hope it's not at the expense of something new, but I, I, I would like to see maybe some Pixar movie that leans into the fantasy. Cause that's why, what, why I didn't like about brave. It's it, it pretended to be a fantasy movie that was barely fantastical. And I thought yeah, like that, and the same what, with the, you know, this movie's kind of similar. It certainly has way more fantasy and a better story. I hated brave cause I felt lied to by all the promotional stuff where I thought she was gonna be this badass princess. And then it turns out she was just whiny and spoiled. <laughs> but I mean, Exactly. I wanted it to lean more into the fantasy, like the Will of the Wisp. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what I want to see from something. And that's why. I was was actually expecting an action film. I was expecting Mulan, in all honesty. Okay. That's still better. Um, But I want to see. What I'd like to see is Pixar do fantasy that's fantasy. That's really what i want to see and if, if it takes if i'm only going to see it from a sequel then okay or a prequel yeah i mean dreamworks maybe. has been doing it with troll hunters with guillermo del toro well, guillermo <laughs> del toro's uh troll <laughs> hunter <laughs> and also uh, and also how to train your dragon was was full of fantasy as well and i i, I definitely i mean i agree i, I think um the, the problem i had with this movie um and it's it's kind of in, in you know the fact that i looked at it and looked for different references and I was so focused on that. It's like you see references from like Lord of the Rings. There's even a Thor Ragnarok reference where the dad, when he disappears, it's a lot like how Odin disappears when he passes away in uh, Thor Ragnarok. I think you're reaching even... there. <laughs> oh no! Watch it. Watch it again. It's totally the same way. And where it's like uh, stars, like you know, yellow stars, you know, dispersing. It's the same. The same way they pass away. Um, and also like on. Um, on on the dad's shirt is the uh, that that's uh, there's a symbol that looks like um, the Mjolnir symbol symbol where it's like these uh, it's like kind of like a triangle or something. Um, so there's like little little things in there, little references. Um, so it, in a way, like it pulls from a lot of like traditional fantasy, but it doesn't have its own voice as far as a fantasy film. Like it has, doesn't have its own stylized design. And so, I mean, I just, I don't know, that's a thing. I, I, there's a lot of good things about this movie, but there's some things that it, it just, it, it doesn't really connect with me in the way that it should. And that's why I say it's a mid-tier movie, or a mid-tier Pixar movie. Um, but yeah, I, I personally hope that from here on out, Pixar kind of try to do things Find more Find its identity again. Yeah, and, and, and you know... Because it had a good balance of telling a, a very heartfelt story while being something uniquely Pixar um, as a film, and 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 that's where you had those masterpieces like Incredibles, and so I just hope we're gonna get to that place again. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, anything else you guys want to say before we wrap up? Um, Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> Guillermo. Guillermo. Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo? The turtle, Yermo, <laughs> Jalapeno, uh, Jalapeno Taco. Um, 
Thanks for listening, and you can check out all of our shows and, and offerings on thegrandgeekgathering.com, our articles or videos and other podcasts and more. All of our podcasts are available on all podcast apps, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all the things. Also, check out our YouTube where you can see the show as well. And we also have our Let's Play in our new cooking show, Grand Geek Eatery. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on everything. Just follow us. Just do it. Josiah, where can they find Josiah is Right? You can find me at Josiah is Right. Josiah is W-R-I-T-E, right as in writer, on YouTube and Instagram. And Twitter as well. But that's just like repost of Instagram. Absolutely. And Paul, where can they find you? And you can find me here. I'll just wait till we do another recording. Waiting in I'll your seat. Shut off. He will be lurking. lurking. Yeah, I can just feel lurking. lurking. I'll be like the uh, that pawn shop lizard girl. You know, just manning the pawn shop, waiting for customers <laughs> to come in. Um, you can be, yeah, you can yeah, be like Scott, for Scott Pogram in front of the of the uh, the door waiting for his package. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> exactly like that. What's the website for Amazon.ca? Amazon.ca. <laughs> oh, wow, oh, wow, this thing claims I have mail. All right, awesome. Alrighty, well, have a great week. Listen to all of our stuff. Wear your masks and GGG. What's on the silver screen? I got some takes you wouldn't believe. Ah, Grab.